Great to be back with you again and share this evening about the, the realm of the occult and uh, particularly uh, psychics in general. And we get a lot of calls at Watchman Fellowship at our ministry about this, about this subject. And the, the title of my message is Paul's Psychic Friend. And in just a few moments, we're going to look at a very unusual passage in the Scriptures because the Apostle Paul is about to have a face-to-face encounter with a woman who's deeply involved in the occult. In fact, we're going to see she's a professional psychic. And we're going to uh, glean some insight about that, about this whole phenomena of psychics that's sweeping our country. We're talking about major motion pictures, the entertainment industry, popular television drama, best-selling books. And so this is something that the Christian is to be salt and light needs to be able to address and understand some of what's happening in the area of the occult. Our ministry deals in this area. Some of you receive our profiles every other month, and earlier this year we did a profile on one of the most prominent psychics in America today. If you haven't gotten that subscription yet, I want to encourage you to get the subscription to our profiles. And if you turn in your Bibles with me, Acts chapter 16... We're going to pick up in verse 16, but let me give you the background. This is a time of great victory in uh, the early Christian church. The Apostle Paul, and of course Luke that writes this, he's recently joined back with Paul in this missionary encounter. And for the first time, the gospel of Jesus Christ, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and rose from the dead according to the Scriptures, that he offers eternal life that he offers salvation in none other than the name Jesus Christ. That message was being spread in places that had never heard the gospel. And so you've just seen a convert, the first convert in Europe. You see, Paul is moving from Asia into Europe, Asia Minor into Europe, and great spiritual victory, going to a place of prayer. But let me say something. At a time of great spiritual victory, and that could be in the church, a church, It could be in your personal life, the life of a family. Satan is often going to put together a counterattack, and that's what we're going to see here, Acts 16, beginning in verse 16. It happened that as we, and this is the Apostle Paul, Luke, and his companions, as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us. Now, more on that later, but the slave girl meets them. It says, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This is sometimes in some translations called divination, but basically it's what most people today would call a psychic. She's able to predict the future or give out readings through occult technology or methodology, and uh, this is what's happening here in 16. And it says, bringing her masters much profit. So not only is she a professional, apparently she's very good at what she's doing. So a lot of money's coming in. Verse 17, following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And so, in verse 18, she continued doing this for many days. Now, I want you to put, to kind of set the scene here. Here you are trying to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're seeing people come to Christ. You're trying to explain the gospel, how that Jesus is the Messiah promised in the Old Testament, about the resurrection. You're, but the whole time, there's this slave woman, and she, oh, everywhere you go, day after day, she keeps crying out, these men are bond service. It has to be getting on your nerves. And sure enough, it says... Verse 18, she continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed. I showed my wife this one. I said, come here, look at this. 
Even the apostle Paul can get annoyed sometimes. He greatly annoyed, it says, and turned around and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very moment that that spirit, evil spirit comes out immediately. Now, what we're seeing here is a somewhat unusual example because rarely in the Bible do we get such a face-to-face encounter with an actual encounter with the realm of the demonic demon spirits. Now, you'll find some occult activity and that kind of thing happening, like the, the witch of Endor. You'll see exorcisms in the New Testament. This is kind of rare to see this kind of face-to-face encounter with the occult. But you would kind of expect to see more of it back in the Bible times. Because you have to remember the culture this is in. This was a, a culture, this was a, uh, a region of the world in a time steeped deeply in superstition. Remember, they believed in the different gods and goddesses. The Greco-Roman world, the, the situation of the age, the spirit of the age, the religion of the most people at that time, Greco-Roman, it was basically in polytheism. They believed in, in Mount Olympus. There were the gods and the goddesses, the pantheon of gods. And so this kind of superstition, you would have all kinds of beliefs. You sign manifestations like this of the occult and of the demonic. But who would have guessed in our day there would be such a revival of interest in psychics and the occult? Psychics particularly and the occult in general. Again, we're talking major motion pictures, the entertainment industry. Most of the experts... We're telling us 20, 25 years ago that America was going to quickly become a totally secular culture. People were, some people were going to continue to believe in Jesus Christ, but majority of people are going to end up being atheists. Well, the experts were all wrong. What we find in the 21st century is if you're not a Christian, rather than being an atheist and believing nothing... The tendency is to believe everything. And so there's an explosion of interest in the, in the psychic and the manifestations of the, of the occult. And uh, how did it happen? Now, p- part of my job is being in an apologetics ministry, being, being uh, head of Watchman Fellowship, is to have my thumb on the pulse of what's happening with American spirituality. You know, my staff helped me write a whole book on this topic. And so we're looking and we're keeping track and we're seeing where were we 20 years ago? Where are we now? We can predict where we're going to be 10 or 15 years from now. So we see where America is spiritually. And who would have predicted, pardon the pun on the psychic thing, but who would have guessed that there would be such a revival? And how did it happen? We were basically a Christian country with a Christian worldview. At what point did it shift? As I begin to go back and look at the occult in general, and then specifically about psychics, there were a number of major important shifts and changes that happened during my lifetime. But if you're going to look at the the latter part of the 20th century, I think the major mover and shaker in this area has to be a woman by the name of Jean Dixon. Now, for the 20th century, Jean Dixon, by the end of the 20th century, became America's most famous psychic. Jean Dixon was syndicated in hundreds of newspapers and both domestically and internationally around the world. She was a well-known psychic and did readings, astrology readings and all for a number of celebrities, people actually some in high government offices as well. But the remarkable thing to me is not so much Jean Dixon's popularity. I can kind of understand that. What's the shocking thing, I think the game changer about Jean Dixon was the fact that Jean Dixon claimed to be 
Christian. Now, for the first time, you had somebody deeply involved in the occult, a professional psychic doing astrology and psychic divination. But she's claiming at the same time she's a Christian. In fact, she said God had given her the ability to have these kind of psychic manifestations. I think this was very confusing to many Americans, including many Christians. I think it was a game changer. Now, for example, it was only a coincidence, but the same year that uh, Gene Dixon died in 1997, George Barna, the Christian pollster researcher, does a nationwide survey. Here's the question. 1997, he, he asked nationwide survey, have you had contact, personal contact, with a psychic in the last 30 days, within the last month? Have you or have you not? A shocking 3% of non-Christians answered affirmative. Now look at the U.S. population. 3% said just in the last month, yes, I've had personal contact with a psychic. 3% of non-Christians, but watch this. 4% of Christians answered the question, yes. Now, this is why I say it was a game changer. I call it the Gene Dixon factor. Because what we see now is you're more likely to have contact with a psychic if you believe you're a Christian than if you believe you're not a Christian. Now, every church is different. This is a different day, decades later. But if you ran that 4% number today in the churches of America, or maybe a Colonial Baptist church, Could that mean that 3-4% of us, even in this room, may have had contact in some manner, some way, with a psychic? Gene Dixon was the game changer of the last century. Now, there were other movers and shakers, other players at that time, for example, that I think changed the the spiritual scene in America. One of them, how many remember, this was a game changer, something came along uh, in the 1980s, how many of you remember Dion Warwick's Psychic Friends Network? You remember that? Uh, this was a game changer because for the first time, it was easy to contact a psychic. Now, you always, if you lived in a large city, you always had access, but you had to go to a bad section of town, park your car in front of the palm reader, hope nobody sees your car parked there, and or you know, go to maybe some kind of metaphysical bookstore, who knows what else they're selling there. And, but for the first time, in the privacy of your own home, you can watch a little infomercial, and there's a 900 number that you can just pick up the phone and dial a 900 number and pay $3.99 per minute to talk to one of Dion Warlock's psychic. <laughs> Sorry. Dion Warwick's psychic friends network. Game changer. This changes everything. So people are getting involved in that. There are others, uh, other influential people, but I'm talking about this is the last century. What about in, more recently? What about in our time? There's a number of very important people that I think are really uh, influencing our nation spiritually in this area, in the area of psychics. One of them would be Sylvia Brown. Sylvia Brown is a New York Times bestselling author. If you go to the Barnes & Noble, there's a section, you'll see some of her books. Uh, she's popular psychic. She's not, she's not the most influential psychic in America, but she's certainly, she's certainly well-known. So you, d- you do have Sylvia Brown. A more well-known psychic, in fact, this person may be tied to be the most influential psychic right now in America, is a man by the name of James Van Prague. Now, James Van Prague, you may have caught him on, he was regularly featured on CNN. He would be a guest back on the old Larry King show. That's how a lot of people got introduced to him. But his biggest influence for James Van Prague is because he's the executive producer of the CBS uh, drama Ghost Whisperer which is now in um, syndication. So what happens is CBS hires a so-called real psychic, J. 
James Van Prague, who does communication with the dead, and they bring him on as the executive producer of this drama, Ghost Whisperer, a very popular drama. And then, uh, not to be left out, NBC comes along with their program, Medium. Medium is um, uh, Patricia Arquette plays uh, a psychic on the program who goes by the name Alison Dubow. Now, what you may not know is that there is a real Alison Dubow who really claims to be a psychic who lives in Phoenix, Arizona. She also is a paid consultant to the program Medium. She believes she's in communication with the dead. So some of these dramas that we watch, and, oh, that's entertaining, you need to know they're, they're, some of these programs are contacting or are paying so-called real psychics to come on and make the program real. So these are important movers and shakers, but probably I'd have to say right now, maybe the most influential psychic today is none of these, but a man by the name of John Edward. John Edward is probably the most influential psychic. John Edward, not John Edwards, the politician from Carolina. He's got other problems. This is John Edward, the psychic, John Edward is the author of the book Crossing Over and also the popular television program Crossing Over. And what he believes he can do is, the type of psychic he is, is he does necromancy, which means communication with the dead. He believes he can cross over from the world of the living and make contact with deceased people. Basically, he sees dead people. And he believes he can open a communication line, bring information back from beyond the the grave, I think he's the most influential psychic in America right now. Now, John Edward, his more recent program in syndication is uh, on the WE Network, John Edward Cross Country. He's probably the most influential, although I would say that James Van Prague is certainly a rising star in this area as well. You see, well, James, okay, I've seen this, and I, I know there's psychics out there. I know they have these million-dollar psychic fairs and things like that happen. But what does that have to do with Christians and the Bible? I mean, the Bible doesn't talk about psychics, does it? Yes, it does. And what we find is you may not find the word psychic uh, in your translation, but the biblical term that you want to look for to give, have uh, some scriptural principles here is the word divination. This is what's really happening. It's a biblical term called divination. What do we mean when we say divination? Divination means predicting the future or revealing occult knowledge by alleged supernatural powers. Let me go over this again. Predicting the future or revealing occult knowledge. The word occult, by the way, comes from the Latin word occultus. It means the thing which is hidden. So you're gaining hidden knowledge apart from the God of the Bible It may be information about the future or about the past, but you're doing it through spiritual means apart from the God of the Bible. That's what divination means. Now, usually the psychics will work in about uh, just a couple of areas. The way that they get interest or or get you connected or hooked to them is they will usually, uh, the psychic mediums will work in the area of basic human needs. And so they'll deal in the area, for example, of finances. Almost everyone has concern, especially in our economy today. What, are, what is my financial future? What about my job? What about my security? What about my retirement? That's finances. Second area of concern that they're going to, going to make merchandise of you if they can is the area of health. I'm concerned about my health. Uh, what, if, what, what if something happens to my health? Uh, how do I know if I'm going to be ill? What if I have a disease? 
And the third area is relationships. These three areas is what they do. I'm concerned about my, my wife. I'm concerned about my husband, my son, my brother. So in these three areas, they come in. Now, let me say, these are, these are genuine areas of spiritual, of spiritual need in people. And so what happens is when you have a need in one of these three areas, there also comes with the need a great temptation. And the temptation is always not to trust God. Not to trust the Word of God, but to look outside of that to other sources to try to know the future in one of these areas. Well, what you're dealing with, if you've crossed the line now and you're dealing with divination or occultism. So this is what we're talking about here. This is what it looks like. Now, the way to recognize it, you say, well, how do I look for that? How do I recognize it? What if a friend's involved or a family member? Usually, divination, psychic divination, is going to involve a prop. Now, here's what I mean by that. What's really happening has nothing to do with the prop. That's just decoration. What's really happening is a spiritual reading, a psychic reading or divination. But the prop is kind of like misdirection. You ever seen the, the, the magician? He says, now notice I have nothing up my sleeves. Well, that, see, that's not, he's doing the trick somewhere else. That's misdirection. And so what happens is they misdirect you. Well, let me talk about the props and forms of divination. One of the most popular, in fact, the most popular entryway into the area of the occult is through the prop of the stars, and this form of divination is called astrology. Divination of astrology. A third of Americans now believe in astrology that the horoscope dictates the future. That's one-third of Americans believe that. Slightly more women than men. But if you do, the age break-offs. If you're older American, only about one-fifth. But 43% in a recent uh, Harris poll of Americans 25 to 29 years old believe that the horoscope dictates the future. This is the prop of astrology, which is uh, a form of divination. Now, the future really has nothing to do with the stars. In fact, it's been demonstrated that the zodiac is all wrong. This is the wrong, they have the wrong zodiac. But it really doesn't matter because the stars are just a prop. What's really happening is a psychic reading. Now, another form of divination, you can use the creases in a person's hand to do divination. And that's known as palm reading. But again, it has nothing to do with the creases in your hand. You can wear a glove. They can still do it. Because it, it really is about a psychic reading. That's just the misdirection part. Okay, so the, a third example would be cards if you go at... Uh, Barnes & Noble or uh, on, online, you can uh, see there's a special deck of cards called the tarot deck. And the tarot deck, if you shuffle them and deal them out, you can do a psychic reading. Again, it has nothing to do with the cards. It's a spiritual reading. But in recent years, we've seen a revival of interest where the, the level of the occult goes even deeper than just on the level of psychic mediumship using props, where the prop becomes not tea leaves, not the iris of a person's eye, not the palm of the hand, but the prop becomes communication with the dead. Now, this is where James Van Prague is coming from. This is certainly where John Edward is coming from. They believe they can have communication with the dead. Now, the Bible warns about this and calls it necromancy. That's the biblical term. And the Bible is clear. No one can communicate with the dead except God. You're not God. And so any attempt to communicate with the dead, if you initiate any attempt, 
you're setting up for some type of deception. I'm going to talk about what happens when you do communicate with the dead. But basically, some of the props that would be involved with necromancy or communication with the dead would be the Ouija board. Parker Brothers has a very popular game board thing that you can buy, and basically there's a, a, a marker on there. You, you're supposedly able to contact a dead spirit to spell out the answers to your questions. There are movies about it as well, the Ouija board. Uh, is one popular divination device. Another one would be seances, where you get in a circle and you light candles, you hold hands, you attempt to cross over and communicate with someone who's deceased. But also in the last 20 years or something, there's been an explosion of interest where it goes even deeper and darker into the occult, where the communication with the dead uses a technique known as channeling. Now, channeling's deeper because actually, allegedly, you're allowing the spirit of the dead person not just to communicate, but to come inside your body, take over your vocal cords, take over your, your uh, mouth, and to be able to give communication, you are subleasing your body out temporarily to a dead person, allegedly. Now, let me say this. Um, I have personally interviewed the number one expert on channeling in the entire world, a, a, a new ager by the name of John Clemo. And during the interview, uh, much to my shock and surprise, I'm interviewing him, straight questions. He all of a sudden goes into a semi-altered state of consciousness and begins to speak in another voice and starts channeling right in the middle of the interview. I did not ask for that. So, uh, Channeling. Now, you may not have gone that. You probably have never been, hopefully, you've not been to a psychic fair. You've never been to a metaphysical bookstore. You've not seen this. But you've been exposed to channeling. How many of you remember the 1990 movie, the big hit, Ghost? Where Whoopi Goldberg won an Academy Award, by the way. Academy Award for playing the part of a channeler in this movie. It still gets on the reruns. And in the movie, what's happened is the boyfriend played by Patrick Swayze. Remember he'd been killed? And Patrick Swayze's girlfriend, played by... You want to do this for me? (laughs) It's very good. Demi Moore. By the way, can you name the minor prophets from the Old Testament very quickly? (laughs) It's Demi Moore. But the movie's done. If you've seen it, it, it draws you in emotionally, on an emotional level. And you find yourself saying, girl, you better go to the medium. You better go to the... And what am I saying? The message of that movie, now listen, the message of much of our culture right now, if you need spiritual answers to life's problems, the answer to your problems are found in the area of the occult and particularly with psychics. Well, this raises a couple of questions for me. I want to know a couple of things. First of all, I want to know why the sudden popularity, how did we get there? We talked a little bit about that already. Second question I want to know, I want to know how they do it. How do they know that your Aunt Edna died? How do they know that? How do they know intimate things about your life or your past? How do they know that your back has been hurting and you've been going to the chiropractor? How do they even know that? The third thing, though, I want to ask this evening, what is the Word of God? What are the biblical principles here? So let's answer some of those questions by looking more carefully at this passage here in Acts 16. I think we can get some principles here for your outline And uh, number one, I want you to see, number one, when it comes to the occult in general and psychics in particular, it's always going to involve, we'll find, deception and profit. Now, it's always deception. We're going to talk about various kinds in a moment. So deception and profit. Be careful how you spell the word profit. There's two ways to spell that. I'm not talking about profit like giving prophecies, but profit as in follow the money. 
There's a financial thing. I, I wrote our profile. This was oh, t- over 10 years ago on psychics. At that time, the psychic industry was a one billion, with a B, billion dollar industry. If you add up the movies, the books, the psychic fairs, added one billion dollar industry. It's only larger now. And so there's a lot of times a financial gain. People are trying to take advantage of it. You hurt because you've lost a loved one, or you're in a bad place because of emotionally about a family member or your health. Remember those three areas? So they come along and for a certain price, they offer to help you. And in fact, we find this happening here in Acts where it says, uh, verse 16, who is bringing her masters much what? There's the word. Profit by fortune telling. Often there's a financial interest involved in this. But I'm more interested not in point one, not so much in the profit. I'm very interested in the deception. So here's my question today. How do they do it? How does this deception take place? Now, I've studied over 25 years. I've seen psychics. I've been there. I've watched them. I've talked with them. In some cases, interviewed them. And I would say that virtually everything I've noticed and and observed and studied in the last 25 years, virtually all of it falls into two categories. Deception is either going to be A or it's going to be B. The majority falls in a category of what I would call lying signs. Lying signs. Now, they're signs, and you'll see the manifestations. You'll see it on television. You'll see it in person. Some of it's very well done, but it's a lying sign. Now, by that, I mean it's fake. There's no deception that's taking place. These people are good actors. They're good actresses. Now, here's what we found out. Sometimes these psychics will actually use like illusions, like a magic trick. Have you seen like uh, Chris Angel, Mind Freak? Have you seen that guy? Or uh, the, the street magician? Or maybe David Copperfield? You know David Copperfield? Okay. Now, these guys are illusionists. Nothing wrong with that. You know, if you, if you want to sh- do an illusion or a, uh, a magic trick, I have no problem with that. But if you claim that you really have powers and you're trying to get someone to pay for your services to contact a dead loved one, and you're using these same techniques, that's unethical. And a lot of them are just good actors and good actresses. Uh, That's what's happening. In fact, it's interesting that this kind of lying signs is sometimes even associated with the coming Antichrist. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, uh, whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs. Look at this and false wonders. Several ways to interpret that. It could be a wonder that falsely points to a false thing, or it could, as some translations put it, a counterfeit miracle. In other words, it looks like a miracle, but it's really not. A lot of them are just using tricks. We found this out. Uh, Sometimes they will hire private investigators to do research on their clients. That's how they know things about you. They hired a private investigator. And so what we're seeing here, let me give you some examples of that. Let me, let me give a, a classic example. About 10 years ago, the number one television psychic 10 years ago in America was a woman by the name of Miss Cleo. How many remember the shaman from Jamaica, Miss Cleo? You couldn't hardly turn on any channel that you wouldn't hear Miss Cleo, and she had something very original. If you call her 900 number, the first seven minutes of your tarot card reading are free. She's from Jamaica, man, and she can read your fortune and tell you your future. And she was on almost all the stations, it seemed like. And then all of a sudden, bang, she was off the air. What happened? Where did Miss Cleo go? Well, come to find out, we did a little study on this investigation. Miss Cleo was indicted. 
There was an investigation that was done, law enforcement, an indictment was handed out. Come to find out, Miss Cleo was actually not from Jamaica. She was born in East Los Angeles. Miss Cleo also, the first seven minutes of your phone call was not free, were not free, so that was another issue. A $5 million fine was levied against Miss Cleo's organization. That's why she disappeared so quickly. Here's my point on Miss Cleo. Think about this. As the investigation unfolds, and the circle is tightening with law enforcement, and the indictment's handed down by the grand jury, and the $5 million fine is levied. Think about this. Miss Cleo never saw those problems coming. <laughs> Why not? Because she's an actress playing the part. She has no spiritual... It's a deception. It's wrong. It's unbiblical. It's a deception. But there's explanations for that. Even John Edward. Now, I personally wrote our profile on John Edward. And let me say he's good. I've watched hours. I read all of his books, read hours and hours of his programs, uh, or watched uh, hours and hours of his program, read all, read all of his books. And he's very good at what he does. But as I studied, the majority of what I see John Edward does has nothing to do with anything really spiritual. What he's really doing is something called cold reading. Now, in our book, uh, I, I talk about the three different kinds of psychic readings. You have Cold reading, and you have warm reading, then you have hot reading. I explain all those in the book and what those are. Let me, I don't have time. Let me just tell you about how cold reading works. In cold reading, the psychic's going to go out into the studio audience, and you're playing a math game. You're, you're dealing in the area of probabilities with a group this size, for example. So what I would do is try to pick up spiritual vibrations. Can I just be John Edward for a minute and do it? Can I show you? Is that Okay. Is I, am I getting get in trouble with Stephen if I do that? <laughs> if I was John Edward, I would try to see if I could pick up spiritual vibrations. I would come down here and I would... Okay, I want you to think of someone who is a family member who's passed away. Okay, this whole area is dead. Let's see. <laughs> now, if you, you can feel it too if you sense this. Come right here. No. Oh, yeah, here it is. I can feel it. Can you feel that? Right here. It's somewhere in these five rows right here. One, two, three, four. It could be. Okay, now what I see is very clear now. You feel the the vibrations. There's someone who's passed away, a family member. I see uh, a man. He's a man, older man. I see a hospital room. I see white hair. There's something. It's an oxygen thing. He passed very suddenly. I want you to raise your hand. This is a family member. He wants to make contact with you. I'm going to give you the letter. I see the letter M. I want you to raise your hand. I see the letter M. You know who I'm talking about. The letter M. Raise your hand. M, M, M. M, M. It's an N. N. I see the letter N. It's an N. It's an N. Raise your hand. N, M, N. P. And you know, eventually he's going to have to buy a vowel. You know that. Should have started with a bigger sample group. But they're, they're playing the odds. I mean, here's, you can do this, for example. Cold reading works every time. You sense something is involving your job or occupation. Well, see, here's the, here's the, the truth of the matter is everyone's either employed or you're unemployed. If you're unemployed, bingo, that's what I was sensing. That's exactly what I saw. If they're employed, let me tell you, 95% of people, there's some kind of issue at their job, some kind of drama. And you can say, you know, I sense, yeah, I, uh, you have the job, but there's something not right. I sense a tension there. And, well, 
it's my coworker. I knew it. And you can just play that. It's, just, it's called cold reading. Some people can do it without even realizing they're doing it. But they also sell books and teach you how to do it, what kind of questions to ask. The majority of what I see with John Edward falls in this whole category of cold reading. In fact, I would say 90% of what I've seen in manifestations fall in this category of lying signs, counterfeit miracles. Now, let me say this, though. I have gone to some events I have interviewed some people. I have seen firsthand things that made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. I have seen manifestations that I walked out of that room saying that what I saw was very real, but it wasn't God. See, there's not always going to be A, lying signs. Sometimes it's going to be B, which is living spirits. Sometimes there are real spirits involved, but not the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's exactly what's happening here in the book of Acts. Look back with me at verse 16. It says, um, a slave girl, now look at this, who was doing cold reading with alphabet letters. Is that what it says? No, this was not cold reading. A slave girl, look at this, having a spirit of divination met us. Spirit of divination. Now, it's interesting, this is a real spirit involved, not the Holy Spirit, a demonic spirit. The Bible has other terms for this, unclean spirits. I think that they are fallen angels. These spirits can be, uh, are sometimes called familiar spirits because they're very familiar with things about you or about the past, and they can bring those out. But these are imposters pretending to be, demonic spirits pretending to be uh, deceased friends or relatives who can appear and form a deception. What we find here is that she has a spirit of a python. Now, this is an interesting thing. If you look back at the Greek where it says spirit of divination, where it says, you see, spirit of divination. Actually, in the Greek, that's two Greek words, pneuma puthonos. And literally what it says, it says she has a spirit of a python, or a python spirit, a Pythian spirit. This goes back to Greek mythology. This is where this term comes from. And according to Greek mythology, there was an oracle who lived in the Greek city of Delphi. Now, an oracle is like... Um, well, if you saw the Matrix movies, you know what the oracle is. The or- it's like a psychic. And the oracle of Delphi uh, allegedly could communicate with Apollos, the son of Zeus. And the way this would happen is, and there's different theories. There's been some even television specials about this. One of the theories is that there were some gases coming up from the, uh, uh, that would cause hallucin- uh, hallucinogenic type experiences. But she would go into some kind of altered state of consciousness and began to babble incoherently. And there were priests of the oracle of Delphi who could then interpret that and give you the prophecy off of this, what she was saying. And it was said in Greek mythology, she has a spirit of a python, the serpent that guarded the oracle of Delphi, the serpent spirit. And apparently it's the same kind of spirit that this woman has that the apostle Paul is talking to, a demonic spirit that's literally here in the Greek, a spirit of a python. Now, I don't want you to miss this. I think a very big part of this entire encounter here is something I think we, we kind of skipped over. I want to draw your attention to the doubtful profession. Now, notice that this woman, the slave girl, she has a very powerful profession. But I have my doubts about it. That's why I call it a doubtful profession. Now, what did she say exactly? Let's go back and look. Now, as we go back and look at verse 17, remember... This woman is not talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. She's talking about with a python spirit, a demonic spirit. But look at what she says. 
Verse 17, following after Paul and us, she kept crying out. Here's her profession. Listen. These men, who's she talking about here? The Apostle Paul, Luke, recording acts, his companion. These men okay, are bond servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Sounds good to me. That's a wonderful profession. Stop right there. See, I have my doubts about this. It sounds so good, though, doesn't it? It sounds evangelical. You could put that in your outline. Sounds biblical, sounds even sound Christian. Hey, a lot of churches, they're ready to hire her. Come on, staff. But we know this is not the Holy Spirit. But here's my question: how did Paul know it was not the Holy Spirit? How did Paul know this? Well, there are be several explanations. There are several ways of explaining why the Apostle Paul. It could be that the Holy Spirit simply spoke directly to Paul by revelation and said, listen, everything she says sounds good, but beware, she's not doing this by the power of God. It's a demonic spirit. Could be the that that was just revealed to the Apostle Paul. It could be, and the text doesn't tell us this, but maybe it was her tone of voice. That doesn't say so, but maybe she was saying it sarcastically or in some kind of evil intent or something. But there's one other possibility, several explanations, but one of them is to look more closely at exactly what she says. It's maybe not as biblical or evangelical as it first sounds. Look back at the verse again. She says, these men are bondservants of whom? of the Most High God. And you read that and you instantly think, well, that's, that's the God we talk, that's the God of the Bible. That's the Most High God. That's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the God we believe in. And I think it's possible that that's exactly what she was saying, but there's a second possibility. Because the Most High God was a name title in Israel for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But in Greek mythology, that was also a title for the God Zeus. You know, you have all the gods and goddesses that live on Mount Olympus. But the most high God would be Zeus. And so when somebody in the first century says, oh, I believe in the most high God, you've got to stop and say, okay, but which one? Which one are you talking about? See, that's the culture that we're living in today. Everybody's spiritual, and they all believe in God. But you've got to ask questions. Do Jehovah's Witnesses believe in God? Yeah, absolutely, but it's not the God of the Bible. They don't believe in the God of the Trinity. They believe in Jehovah alone as God, and Jesus Christ is simply an angel Michael. Mormonism, we talked about this morning, has many gods, and you can become one one day. So everybody will say the right words, but it goes back to that getting the definitions of those words. So that's a possibility, but there's one other thing here in the text to draw your attention to. See where it says, uh, "...who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation." They're telling you the way of salvation. Well, if you look a little closer at the text, it's actually the, the, the word the is not actually in the Greek. It's only implied. So this is what they call an anarthrous construction. I don't want to bore you with all the Greek grammar or anything, but bottom line is the word the, the way of salvation, hohodas, the way, is actually not literally there, but implied in the text. In fact, some translations, like, for example, the New English translation, translates the same verse showing you a way of salvation. Now, we don't want to pick too much about a missing definite article like the Jehovah's Witnesses do on John 1.1. We don't want to go down that path. But I'm just saying, when you look more carefully, this is not as orthodox, perhaps, as it seems on first blush. But for whatever reason, the Apostle Paul is able to discern, this is not good. This is not helping the kingdom of God. 
This woman needs help. She needs to be free from this bondage. And so a third point I want to bring out to you is deliverance and protection. Deliverance and protection. I've called this Paul's psychic friend, but obviously this woman does not start off being Paul's friend in any, any measure. But because of the grace of God and deliverance that comes through Christ, she can have that deliverance and protection. And I want to bring out two points here. Uh, Three in your outline, deliverance and protection. First of all, A, I want you to notice that it's in the name of Jesus. Look at verse 18. Paul says, I command you in the name of whom? In the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Let me tell you how, how occult bondage works. Occultism, whenever you get involved, and the number one entryway is through astrology, doing your horoscope, but you may get through the, the door of the, of the psychic mediums, or you might go through some other door, uh, palm reading or some other kind of way. But once you get involved in the occult, it almost is like an addiction. And we talk to people all the time at Watchmen. They know it's wrong. They, they're trying to stop, but they just have this, this leverage over them that they cannot walk away from it. They know the Bible talks about this. They know what's right, but they cannot break free. You'll never get free in your own strength in this. Once Satan has a stronghold over you in this, you are not going to be able to probably break free on your own. You're going to need help. And it comes in the name of Jesus. A New Year's resolution will not work. Trying to turn over a new leaf will not work. The other event that happens whenever you're involved in the occult, willfully involved in the occult, you can open doors for Satan to be able to attack you. And so there can be root problems that cause fruit problems later. And you go back and say, I'm struggling in this area of my spiritual life. I can't get a victory. Well, could it be that you've never actually asked for forgiveness and deliverance, protection from something that you did a year ago, five years ago, 25 years ago involving the occult? And so once you open that door and give Satan permission to attack you, you're going to have to have a spiritual breakthrough. It does not happen in any other way except through Jesus Christ. That's the only way you can get the freedom is freedom in Christ. Second thing I want you to notice about the deliverance and protection is in the name of Jesus, A. B, it's also is immediate. It's immediate. Verse 18 says, and it came out. Now, it is this spirit of a python, the demonic spirit. It came out. After six months of intense therapy sessions, no, it came out how? That very moment. Now, I have an entry in in our book on deliverance ministries. And let me just say right now, the majority of what I see in deliverance ministries are worse than useless. It's harmful. And the irony, a lot of these, you know, uh, Domino's ministries we deliver, you know, we're going to get, we're going to get these demons out of you. The irony is you're never actually delivered. The longer you're involved in that group, the more you become dependent upon it. So yeah, they cast out the demon from you on Sunday, but by Tuesday you've got 10 more. You've got to go back on Wednesday, get those gone. And it's an it's a, it's a endless chain of going back, and the more you're involved. See, a healthy ministry, the longer you're involved, the more independent you come looking to Christ alone, and the less dependent you become on someone helping you through every step of the way. And so what happens is most of the deliverance ministries, I have no, I don't, the whole power encounter where you try to confront the demon, you try, first of all, have Christians being demon possessed, I have a whole problem with. If you're a believer, 
it is implies that you've been bought with a price and there's ownership there. How can you, as a believer who's received the Holy Spirit, how can you be demon-possessed? I don't think a Christian can be. Now, you may know some Christians who are borderline in that area. You know who you are. But I don't think a Christian can be truly demon-possessed. You can be oppressed or you can be deceived or you can come under the influence, but not possession. And so uh, that's one of the issues and problems. But this whole power encounter where the exorcist is going to go on and you see these people sometimes on television and they're going to talk to that demon that's in you. And they're going to want to know information. They're going to, in, they're going to interview the demon and find out how many are in there with you and what are their names. Well, first of all, if it's a demon, you think they're going to tell you the truth on any of this? So have you already thought about that? Now, a better approach might be a truth encounter where you go back and kind of do a spiritual inventory. If you are under some kind of spiritual oppression, do a spiritual... Have you ever received Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you've never received Christ, you can't have any, any, any long-lasting relief in this area. You need a Savior. You need Jesus. And you can have that immediately. You can receive Christ as Savior. Or if you are a Christian and you're struggling spiritually and there's some kind of addictive type of maybe occult activity that you can't quite get free of... You go back and talk about what was that thing that you first got involved in that you need to repent of. You say, well, James, I, you mean that was 20 years ago? You mean when I was doing the seance that that was, that was something that could still have effect today? Have you asked God to forgive you of it? Have you, have you confessed it? Then maybe Satan is using that as a stronghold. What would be the harm of confessing that and asking Jesus to give you deliverance and protection? The good news in God's Word, whether it's salvation or whether there's any kind of spiritual uh, struggle. In the name of Jesus is where we get our deliverance, not in our own strength. And we can have that this very hour, this very moment. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want to thank you again for the gospel of grace. We want to thank you that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Help us to have spiritual discernment that we can be able to know your word, the, the, the Bible, so clearly that uh, we're able to discern what kind of spiritual attacks that there are and be able to confront it with the full armor of God. And if there's anything represented this evening, anyone that's here that has had a past activity of communication with the dead or seances or palm reading or any other kind of occult activity, Lord, if there's some kind of stronghold that Satan is still exercising over them, we ask that you give them the strength to come to you and ask for forgiveness, ask for deliverance, ask for protection in Jesus' name. It's in that mighty name that we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's tell James how much we've enjoyed having him today.